In 1976, following an assassination attempt in Jamaica, Bob Marley fled to the safety of London. There he met a young Don Letts and heard punk rock for the first time, which he did not like. Letts, who had quite a lot to do with bringing punk and reggae together, explained to Marley that there was more to punk rock than the negative portrayals he was reading in the British tabloids, telling him that punks, like Rastas, were like-minded rebels. As Marley became more informed about the punk rock scene, he was inspired to write the song Punky Reggae Party after hearing The Clash's cover of Junior Mervyn's Police and Thieves. When it was released in 1977, Punky Reggae Party articulated a unique moment when black and white street culture found itself with the same aspirations. And as punk aimed its fire at the establishment, it found common cause with reggae. Now, by that time, society had managed to alienate its own white youth. And as Johnny Rotten so eloquently put it, it definitely felt like there was no future. Luckily for me and my black brethren, we had a soundtrack to ease our pain. But my white mates, not so lucky. The popular music of the time was a million miles from the vibe on the streets. You know, they're singing about shit like Hotel California. So my white mates set about creating a soundtrack that was sort of relevant to their situation, sort of of the people, for the people, by the people. Punk rock. That's Don Letts. As a DJ at the Roxy, he introduced hardcore dub reggae to young white punks who were drawn to its outlaw message of rebellion. And while many claim Letts started the punky reggae party, in his view, it's only partially true. The skinhead movement of the 60s and early 70s had introduced Jamaican music to punk icons like John Lydon of the Sex Pistols and The Clash's Joe Strummer long before the Roxy opened its doors. While some punks had loved reggae since they were kids, there were plenty of white punks who had never heard it before. According to Let's, quote, the kids that I actually turned on to reggae in the late 70s were those that did not live next door to black people or have any interaction with black people. And back in the mid to late 70s, that was a lot of fucking people. Every person who came out of the suburbs to the Roxy, and there were lots of them, had never heard reggae before. And they're the ones I hip to the sound. But as far as claiming responsibility for turning a generation of punks onto reggae, no, no, no. It ain't quite like that. It never is, is it? While the Stranglers may not immediately come to mind as a punky reggae band, the fact is that they created their own unique take on reggae into one of their earliest and most popular songs, Peaches. Like other 70s-era punk bands, they were part of a movement that brought punk and reggae bands together and shared stages with British reggae and ska acts. Hi, this is Mark Wasserman. Welcome to I Don't Like Reggae, I Love It, a special audio series of the Ska Boom podcast that focuses on the historical origins and impact of reggae on popular music that will explore the phenomena and cultural implications of both cod reggae and punky reggae. As reggae became part of the musical landscape, more established white rock artists began to experiment with it. Soon, direct musical influences like dub effects, reggae-style guitar and keyboard rhythms, 
and missing drum beats and side stick also began to find their way into popular mainstream music. As more non-reggae artists began to appropriate the sound of reggae and white audiences responded, this new Regatta de Blanc, as the police called their second album, received a less than flattering name, Cod Reggae. It's a harsh but efficient way of describing reggae music reconfigured for a mass audience. But before we get started, you may be asking, what is cod reggae? The meaning of the word cod is thought to have originated in the 19th century and is almost exclusively a British term. Cod in the sense of joke, hoax, leg pull, appears in the early 20th century and features in James Joyce's portrait of the artist as a young man. Quote, some fellows had drawn it there for a cod. Cod also functions as an adjective. Bernard Scher's slanguage quotes a politician on Irish TV news saying, that's a cod argument. Everyone knew what they were voting for. So, by definition, cod reggae means faux joke or nonsense reggae. Now, on the flip side, punk reggae, or ja punk, a term coined by the writer and journalist Vivian Goldman in a story she wrote for Sounds magazine in 1977, was the antithesis of cod reggae. This was best epitomized by Tony James of Generation X, who told Goldman, quote, I really want to apply reggae techniques to rock and roll. I don't want to be a white guy playing reggae. A perfect example of a band that applied reggae techniques to rock and roll was The Stranglers, who formed in September 1974 in Guildford, England. The band initially built a following as part of the mid-70s pub rock scene, but their aggressive, no-compromise attitude made them one of the instigators of the developing punk rock scene. Give the band's 1974 demo version of I Know a listen to get a sense of their early sound. Peaches began life as a dub reggae number, inspired by the Stranglers' introduction to live roots reggae sound systems. According to an interview that the band's bassist Jean-Jacques Brunel did with the Song Facts website in 2013, the Stranglers were introduced to reggae and sound system culture in the mid-70s when they were first starting out and had signed a deal with Safari Records, who at the time had a number of reggae bands on the label. According to Brunel, quote, in the very early days, we were signed to a label called Safari, which was more or less a reggae label. We hadn't released anything. But the owner phoned us up one day and said, look, do you want a few pounds to augment your PA to a sound system? Well, we didn't know what a sound system was. So we turned up in a part of London, and we were the only white guys there. We stuck our PA to their sound system, and there was an awful lot of grass going around. We were kind of excluded from the line of grass. And lo and behold, I discovered sound systems, which were, I suppose, an early form of rap. You'd have a toaster, 
a Jamaican guy talking sort of stream of consciousness over a bass and drums backing rhythm. It was all reggae, what you might now know as dub. So you have a delay on the snare, there'd be a lot of separation, and mainly bass speakers. We stayed there for the whole gig, and at the end of it, I was hooked on the idea that the bass should be the most dominant feature. So I went back to where we were living that night and came up with the three notes which constitute peaches. And of course, I wanted to make a reggae song out of it. But we didn't quite get the snare in the right beat. But never mind, we strangled it. We interpreted a reggae theme in the Strangler's way, which became Peaches. Have a listen to a demo version of the song recorded at a studio in Wales in 1975.
Peaches was probably one of the most unfriendly radio songs on The Stranglers' 1977 debut record. The song is written from the perspective of a deluded macho man trawling the beach. And unlike the political furors caused by the Clash and Sex Pistols, the controversy that developed was around the song's lyrics, which are seen by some as misogynistic and politically incorrect. Sung in a lecherous sneer, the sexual tension is so unrelenting as to spill into parody, or even censor-baiting territory. Unfortunately, the joke was lost on many, and the song was banned by radio stations in England. In retrospect, the old bad publicity is as good as good publicity move seemed to work and brought an element of rock and roll danger back to the charts. But let's talk about the sound of the song. Here's what Burnell had to say during a TV interview about how reggae influenced that bass line. But I think uh, amongst the four of us, we, we felt it, it had something. You know, there's a lot of space for a start. And, uh, I mean, it was, only, it was only us trying to... Uh, only me trying to be a, a, a reggae bass player or a dub reggae bass player. That's where we, I picked up all that space. And I thought, this is fantastic. The bass is dictating the whole song, you know. The bass is the lead instrument in Peaches, and to Burnell's credit, many people consider it one of the most memorable bass lines ever. Even though I've heard it a thousand times, it still gets me. But imagine hearing it for the first time. And now we can, through someone else's ears. One of my guilty pleasures is watching first-time listening song reaction videos on YouTube. Here's a listener's reaction to hearing Peaches for the very first time. You know, it's a old man... This old man music right here, you know, down on the, the beaches looking at the beach. <laughs> you know, you know, we get it, you know. But that bass, that bass, that bass, immediately. When, as soon as it started, like, yeah, that riff is crazy infectious. Goosebumps. Filthy work. Filthy work instrumentally. I really like that. That funk right there. That thing funky. That bass indeed. It creates the dark tension that pervades the song while the guitar and drums provide a hypnotic counter rhythm. It's a real masterpiece of songwriting that shows how keeping it simple can be powerful. Despite the song's controversy, the band put their money where their mouth was in terms of bringing reggae to white punk audiences. They famously toured with Birmingham's Steel Pulse, and the pairing made sense, as both bands were united by an uncompromising approach to how they made music and the way people responded to them. All right, who like Kali? Who like herbs? Who like a good smoke? Who like Angel? Who like a good like smoke? Bamba! Bamba! Yeah! Mashi! Steel Pulse had come up through the punk underground, playing in punk strongholds such as the Hope and Anchor and the 100 Club during 1976 Summer of Punk in London. Their militant Rasta style of fatigues, dark glasses, and wool tams made them kings of the gobbing, fighting, pogoing punk crowds. Performing next to punk bands like The Stranglers, 
their voices got angrier, guitars choppier, bass heavier, and drums rockier. But Steel Pulse always retained a roots reggae style. In fact, Steel Pulse were criticized by other British reggae acts who didn't want to be associated with the punk rock scene days. As co-founder and frontman David Hines remembered, quote, They didn't want to have anything to do with that racket. To be honest, if the punk rock movement had not happened in England, there would be no Steel Pulse or any British reggae scene, because it was on the backs of the punk rockers that reggae got its foot in the door. There is a story in The Guardian from 2007 in which music critic Dave Sampson describes a remarkable moment when reggae and punk culture clashed, and it included the Stranglers and Steel Pulse. Quote, It's late autumn, 1977, and the Stranglers are headlining a show in the Midlands. The support comes from the Roots reggae band Steel Pulse. They know what to expect from a punk crowd, gobbing, cans being thrown. Steel Pulse are barely into their first number, when a huge wad of phlegm shoots from the audience and lands on the hand of bassist Ron Stepper McQueen. The band's nickname for McQueen was Psycho, and they fully expected him to live up to his name. We all stared at Ronnie and we stopped playing, remembers Steel Pulse's singer Michael Riley. So there's this silence on stage. Then eventually 4,000 punks went silent. McQueen didn't react, however. Instead, Strangler's bassist Jean-Jacques Burnell stepped out of the wings, waded into the crowd, identified the culprit, and knocked him out cold. Then he turned to face the crowd. He just went, You fucking wankers, you love reggae, laughs Riley. During this series, I'll be taking a deep dive into well-known and obscure cod reggae and jaw punk tracks like Dreadlock Holiday by 10CC, Redondo Beach by Patti Smith, Bella Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus, and more. If you've listened and received some value from this episode, then please help support the podcast for as little as $3 per month on Patreon. Supporters get access to exclusive content like special episodes of this series and advanced promo chapters from my book, Ska Boom, An American Ska and Reggae Oral History. Just go to patreon.com backslash Podcast for more information. Thanks for listening and take care. <laughs>